The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Today on CityCast Salt Lake, civil engineer Christian Lenhart and urban designer Cameron Blakely have a plan for returning our historic Rio Grande train station to its glory days as a bustling transit hub. It's called the Rio Grande Plan. And though it began as a passion project, it is starting to gain some real traction with the city. Cameron is here to paint us a picture. It's Thursday, January 5th, 2023. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Cameron Blakely, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ali. Is it true that the Rio Grande plan was born on Reddit? <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty close to that. Um, it was actually uh, born on a, a website called Skyscraper Page. Hmm. How did that come together? How did you two find each other? So uh, Christian Lenhart and I, who co-authored the Rio Grande plan, we sort of found each other on this Skyscraper page. It's, it's basically a, a forum where people can post updates about various development in Salt Lake City. Mm. And... I, I was just a lurker on this website, just kind of checking it out once in a while, seeing what was new. And I noticed that Christian had had put together kind of this proposal for restoring rail service to the Rio Grande Depot. And uh, his back, he's a civil engineer. And so he had, you know, this really thorough um, kind of detailed outline of, you know, all the logistics of of how, you know, the trains would go underground and... Um, you know, the whole engineering side of it, it resonated with, with me. You know, my background is in uh, landscape architecture and urban design. And so I I ended up making an account so that I could message him. And <laughs> I shot him an email and was like, hey, this is a little weird, but um, I read your plan and I think it has a lot of merit. Mm. Uh, how would you feel about teaming up? And, you know, I could lend my design expertise to the plan and we could you know, sort of partner and uh, flesh this idea out. And wow. the rest is kind of history. <laughs> the rest is history. It's an architectural meet-cute. I love it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of the plan. What exactly is the Rio Grande plan? Like, can you lay it out for me? Back in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, as Salt Lake City was preparing for uh, the first Olympics, you know, we had all these viaducts coming into the city over the rail yards and they decided that they wanted to kind of cut those back and open up new land for development. And so the railroad tracks, which originally ran up and down Fifth West, right behind, you know, the Rio Grande Depot and mm -hmm. okay. the Union Pacific Depot, they ended up moving those further to the West to, you know, create a, a street. Eventually, the 
the Gateway Mall came out of that. Ah, okay, yep. So mm-hmm. with the with the land that was made available, they built the Gateway Mall. But then that left them with a dilemma that now, you know, these two historic rail stations that once served the city were now kind of left as islands. And yeah. there was no way to get rail connections to them. And so the city ended up building uh, the current Salt Lake Central Station, which, you know, if you've ever been out there, it's just really so isolated, you know, yeah. despite efforts from the city to get development out there, it's just really slow progress. In addition to, you know, there's all these rail cross, like at grade rail crossings posing, you know, pedestrian hazards, vehicular hazards. Mm-hmm. And so our our proposal is basically to move the rails back to their original alignment on Fifth West, but instead of running down the middle of the street like they used to, we would build what we're calling a train box. So you basically dig, dig a trench in the ground, put lay the tracks down, and then build sort of like a parking garage sort of structure on top of it so that the street could be rebuilt on top of the tracks. Huh. So as someone riding their bike or driving their car, you would never even know that there's tracks underneath you and that in turn would restore the Rio Grande as as a functioning rail station and as the new Salt Lake Central Station and in turn all those existing rail yards and tracks that are further to the west that could eventually be opened up for new development for new housing open space whatever right a new development that's basically right on top of public transit which is pretty appealing yeah exactly one thing that as an urban designer that I see that's problematic with the current Salt Lake Central Station is it has a limited development area. You know, you can only develop basically uh, 180 degrees around it. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this proposal, you can get 360 degrees of full kind of transit-oriented development. So it's a a much greater impact uh, as far as mobility and, you know, access. Hmm. Okay, so I think I've got a pretty clear picture of how this would change the look of the Rio Grande station. How would it change how it feels? Like, what's the vibe shift? (laughs) (laughs) I would like to think that it would be a much more open and accessible space. It's kind of a shame that we have this beautiful old building that's just kind of sitting there essentially vacant. The the Rio Grande Cafe was in there for a while. And I think it's like the historic Utah Historic Society has their offices there. But since since the earthquake, it's kind of been shut down. And I know they're doing repairs on it. But it's always felt kind of closed off to the public. Hmm. And I think that with the opportunity to to bring it back to a functioning rail station, because there'd be more movement of people, you could have more restaurants there. You could have, you know, a functioning waiting room, just like you did back in the golden age of of travel. (laughs) And there's a lot of other precedents to Denver. They they did something very similar and and they have hotel rooms in their in their (laughs) old depot. And so I think there's a lot of interesting uses that you could kind of build into this station to make it, you know, active at all hours of the day. Yeah, it sounds bustling. Yes. And cozy, which are basically two of my favorite adjectives. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, 
I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants. But the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments. So if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. It's also interesting to me because we've heard the city recently talk about wanting to convert downtown into a, quote, 18-hour city. Like, this has been kind of the plan, right, is Mm -hmm. that downtown isn't just a place people commute to to go to work, then get back in their car and go home to Sandy, right? That they stay, they have dinner, that, like, Salt Lake City feels like it has a longer day than just 9 to 5. And this feels very plugged into that vision for the city. You hit the nail right on the head. I mean, residential and housing is critical, right? We, we need more of that, definitely. But we also need places for people to hang out, um, you know, bars, cafes. Mm. Third spaces. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this would go a long way to, toward providing some, some additional spaces like that. Okay, I'm into it. I can't imagine it's a perfect solution. What are some of the pitfalls? There's a lot that remains unknown. One thing that would be a huge step for the city to take would be, you know, formulating an official feasibility study to look at, you know, the pros and cons, the restraints of a plan like this. From our research, the water table might pre- might present some issues. Uh, we have quite a high water table in that area. Mm. I don't think that's a deal breaker. If you look at, you know, the gateway parking garage, we'd be about that same level underground. And then the, the new airport, um, they're building that new underground concourse connection, and that's mm-hmm. also be- below the water table. So it's not without precedent, but it would present you know some challenges. In terms of human impact, could this plan displace people in that area of the west side? I mean, I I think that that's sort of the beauty of this plan is that you know since this whole area is kind of industrial. I mean, for lack of a better term, wasteland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty hollow. <laughs> yeah, there's not really people to displace. And so it's it's kind of this open hole that would be a great way to, to kind of provide additional housing without knowing, you know, what the, what the future holds. I think, you know, with any sort of development, there is the challenge of, you know, things like gentrification um, and kind of the ripple effect that it would have in the surrounding community. But 
Um, you know, I think there's ways that you can mitigate those sort of issues, you know, through, you know, regulations that enforce a certain number of affordable units and provide housing for those in place. Where are we in the timeline of you and Christian sitting down and writing this plan versus this thing being built? Are we super early stage? Where are you at in this journey? And who who do you need to convince next? You've convinced me. Who's next? <laughs> perfect. Well, I'll check your name off the list. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we're still very early in the process. This is sort of a, a pretty untraditional means of getting anything done. It, it's pretty rare to see kind of a citizen-driven proposal that ends up gaining so much attention. And, and I think that's why we're so excited about it is that it, it was very unexpected. You know, right now we're in the process of just continuing to try to raise public awareness and public support. We've had a few people from the city take a real interest in this. Um, you know, council member Dan Dugan. I think the next step would be to get some state leadership involved. I know that some people at the state level are aware of the plan. As as more public support increases and as, pe- as kind of that pressure builds, I think um, you know, state leadership would then be more compelled to seriously investigate the proposal. Is state leadership important because the state would essentially have to fund it? Like, what would this cost? Yeah, as far as cost, I mean, I think we put together kind of a rough cost estimate and, you know, looking at precedent projects, you know, such as Denver's or, you know, there was a similar project in Reno. Um, you know, we put we put the number at uh, 500 million. Okay. But, you know, again, without a formal feasibility study, there's really kind of no way to know the the actual costs. Hmm. But yeah, definitely the state would need to be involved in in a major portion of the funding and especially where there's so many uh, different stakeholder groups, you know, UDOT would need to be involved, UTA, the you know, the city of Salt Lake of course, Union Pacific would need to be a stakeholder. So mm. kind of everyone would need to gather around the table and be able to work together towards towards this vision. So there's still a lot of ground to cover for sure, but as we can increase the public support side of things, that'll start to push the the pressure points. Yeah. It's interesting to me because 500 million is the price tag on the gondola and the stakeholders are really similar. Like that's basically the same stakeholder list minus Union Pacific. My last question for you, honestly, like prepping for this conversation, I read an 11 page packet filled with detailed renderings. I browsed the beautiful website that you all have created. Is this project just a love letter to Salt Lake? Like, why is this so important to you? Because this is a ton of work. In talking with Christian, I think we're both just like really passionate about Salt Lake and the opportunity that we see here in trying to solve some of the some of the issues that our community is facing. I never expected to kind of have this plan blossom in the way that it has. Um, you know, there were a lot of late nights working, you know, after our day jobs to try to get th- this thing done. But I think in, our, in the back of our minds, it was always, you know, that we felt like this, this idea had merit. And yeah, I think Salt Lake is just kind of a, a perfect place to explore some of these ideas. We're worth it. Yes, definitely. Cameron Blakely, thank you so much. Thank you, Allie. It was great talking with you. Cameron mentioned that Denver did a similar thing 22 years ago when the city turned a decommissioned rail yard into an underground bus depot. Maybe you've been there. It's called Union Station. 
So I had to ask my colleagues at CityCast Denver if they thought it was worth the $500 million investment. Lead producer Paul Caroli said that when Denverites talk about Union Station, they rarely talk about rerouting the transit lines. It's way more about how this awesome lady named Dana Crawford saw potential in redeveloping the dilapidated old train station. That reuse project sparked the redevelopment of the neighborhood with loads of new housing and has become a landmark for the city. It has, he emphasized, catalyzed broader development, too. If you've got questions or are intrigued about this idea, Cameron and Christian are hosting a little event. It's called Bury the Rails on January 26th at 7 p.m. at the Salt Lake Public Library. Even Salt Lake City's planning director, Nick Norris, will be there. And if you want to see colorful Rio Grande plan renderings, head over to our Instagram at CityCastSLC. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.